Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in Him. Uh, please enjoy the following message. And if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I was at the game last night. Got to be proud of our 7th, 8th grade boys team. Uh, really fantastic journey. Great game. Just a blast to watch them. They made St. James history. Uh, I still can't tell what the legend is. Someone said the last time we were in the state finals was 1901. I don't think that's true. Uh, but it's been a long time getting in, even being in the finals. Is that right, Warren? Warren, is that? It's been a long time. It doesn't happen often. And has it ever happened where we won two games, Warren? Is that? That's the far, this is the farthest we've gone. We could probably say that. So that's huge. Uh, and then we came to the final game last, not the final, but it was the quarterfinals, uh, and barely lost a game that I would say we could have probably beat that team two out of three times. I think we're a little better of a team. So when you see a man, hug him. Great job and our coaches. But after the game, the, the boys go in the locker room and uh, they come out. I'm trying to do pastoral ministry with people here. And I think the coaches were, might have been more upset, more upset than, the, than the players. But uh, no, there were some upset people. But the first thing I heard from everybody, from people in the stands, the parents, myself, was if we would have done this, like Will Grieve was in the post the whole night. Anyhow, I got some thoughts on that. Or if the refs hadn't done this, there's always that, right? If we'd have done that or played that or so-and-so or Martin didn't have a bruised eye above us, you know, his head was bruised from hitting Nana earlier that, year, earlier in that day. You know, all these ifs. If we would have done this or that, we would have won. All these regrets. What's happened all the time when you play sports like that? You know what I mean? If we would have just done this or even the coaches probably. Boy, I wish I would have told them to do this. All those regrets. Ifs, woulds. Man, it would have been different. I bet you can relate to things in your life. Maybe your glory days of high school. Oh, I wish I would have tried harder. I would have been a star, right? Done better in school, maybe. Or maybe today. Boy, I wish I would have done that. Or maybe it was your first job you had. Boy, if I would have made those choices, I would be with that company. I'd be making tons of money. Maybe it's a relationship. A marriage. Man. I wish I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> if I'd have done this or this or this, I wouldn't have lost my first marriage. Maybe it's something else. But I bet you know what it's like to have would'ves and could'ves and should'ves and have regrets. I think Nicodemus in today's gospel lesson might have had some regrets. Nicodemus, John tells us, he appears three times in uh, the gospel in, in Jesus' life. And uh, fascinatingly, he's at the end where 
he is actually going to get Jesus' body. He gets uh, the uh, the uh, he goes to Pilate, Nicodemus, and Joseph of Arimathea, and they um, ask for Jesus' body as he's killed. You know, and they go and they take him down and they put him in a tomb nearby. And Joseph bought a really expensive tomb, and they. And uh, Nicodemus brought like a ridiculous amount of ointment and spices, like the amount you'd have for a king or a very wealthy, powerful person. And I can just think Nicodemus putting this on Jesus' body, and I know that he had regrets. Because uh, Nicodemus gave signs of believing in Jesus, but he never really quite did anything about it. He never actually spoke up. A little bit here and there. And I bet as he's bearing Jesus, he was thinking, man, this guy was a good guy. And I never really didn't quite stand up for him. And I wonder while he's putting Jesus in the tomb that he thought about today's episode in the gospel according to John here, chapter 3. John tells us that the same Nicodemus is a man of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was probably wealthy, successful, a good person. People looked up to him, not just in the words that he spoke because he knew scripture, but in the advice that he gave and that he himself was a success. But he comes to Jesus at what time of day? Nighttime. Why? He's a little scared because Jesus had already kind of caused a little commotion with his teaching, with his deeds, his miracles. People were following him and the Pharisees already were investigating this Jesus. They're not going to ride this train quite yet. In fact, Jesus seems to not be doing what they want him to do. So he's not popular with the leaders of Israel. But Nicodemus seems to think there's something more to this Jesus. But he doesn't have the guts. And I'll bet he regrets that later. I'll bet he regrets this. They held back. They didn't speak up. He comes at night so nobody knows. Because he wants to know more about this Jesus. He seems to have answers. And John says, he comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. I know that. You've done these things. You're not just doing this by chance. You're not just another guy. There's something special about you. I'll be real honest with you. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He admits something pretty huge there. But I wish he he probably regrets later. Because he knew. And he let Christ be killed. Jesus is not very good at taking compliments or being sweet talked. (laughs) And he says, what? What does he say? Nicodemus gives him a great compliment. Nicodemus, the great smart thinker. He's He's a ruler. He's an authority on scripture. And Jesus says this to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless you are born all over again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You think that you can see that I'm a man of God? You can't see squats. Now think about what he's doing here. 
This is the ruler. This is the authority. This is the scribe. He has rewritten scripture over and over and over. He is an authority as to what right and wrong is. What the Bible says. A leader in the church. In the synagogue in Jerusalem. And Jesus rips it all down. And says, you can't see or know anything unless you're born all over again. All of your accomplishments, all your pedigrees, all your degrees, all your good works, all your memorization, all the applause people give you are absolutely worthless when it comes to seeing God or understanding how God works. Or let alone, most importantly, he says later, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born all over again. That's how bad sin is and how devastating it is and how bad off Nicodemus is and that we are. This is a very important part of Holy Scripture of being a Christian and especially this Lent to understand, realize that humanity is that far off the mark that it's not enough to fix it up, to patch it up. Does that make sense? This is very, very important. When you think of all those regrets you've had, all those words that you spoke or things that you've done, if you could take them back, if you could change them, then maybe you'd be more righteous and things would go better for you in your life. And I'm not saying there's probably dumb things we do that we wish we could do again. Absolutely. But I'm pretty confident that if we were to have the opportunity to live our life all over again, we would mess it up in a different way, perhaps. <laughs> but we would. It'd be Groundhog Day. I promise you, if you had a chance to do it all over again, you might fix some mistakes over here, but you'd mess them things up over here. I'm confident in that. Because the problem that Nicodemus had, the problem that you have and that I have, is not superficial. It's not outside here. That's just the symptom of something that we all share. A deep corruption of the heart. They can't simply be patched up. You got to be born all over again in order to be righteous, in order to live. And that's what Jesus is saying here. A lot of times people think of the church as being a hospital. Have you heard that? The church is a hospital, right? Just like a hospital is for the sick, the church is for sinners. And, uh, and I get what they're saying, admitting that, you know, we need to hear God's word, right? It's not for healthy people. It's for people who are unhealthy, who have problems, who need Jesus. That's okay. But I think ultimately that's a terrible metaphor because it's not really true. Because that implies that the church is a place where you get help and you become better and you get kind of taken care of and patched up and fixed up. But the church is not a hospital. The church is a morgue where we die 
And the church is a maternity ward where people are born anew and given a whole new life in Christ. Because that's what it takes and that's what Jesus gives. An absolutely new you. This is very fundamental Christianity. Incredibly important. Jesus did not come to patch up and fix up and help you. He came to save you. He came to absolutely kill and make alive again. That's what he's talking about. You want to redo your life again? Jesus actually does it for you. And when you are baptized, he gives that to you. You are made a new person and brought into a new reality. It is not symbolic. You are born again by his word. You become a new person because he says so. And you don't need to have those regrets. And you no longer need to think about what you should have done or could have. You can let that go. Stop doing it. It's of no use. Just like those kids, even now, if we would have done this or that. You know how it beats on your brain over time? And just pummels you down? If I would have done this, it would have been better. People hold on to these things for their lives. If I just wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be in this situation. And it ruins their life. Let it go. All your regrets, it ain't going to happen anyways. You can't live it again. And you know what? You don't need to. Because Christ has lived your life for you. And he has birthed you again in the waters of baptism. You are a new person. That's the past. And daily, I would say, throw your regrets in those waters. And hold on and trust to his words. You are a new person, forgiven, and will live forever. You have died and you have already risen. And this Jesus that speaks to Nicodemus says these words. He doesn't quite get it, but I love what Jesus says later, doesn't he? Look look what he says here. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He doesn't get it at all, but Jesus loves Nicodemus. He loves you and me. And he says, uh, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that's why you need need to know the Old Testament, my friends, if you want to really get to what Jesus is saying. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Not does good works or earns his favor, but simply trust that Jesus' life is good enough for us, that his death for you is good enough for you, that his forgiveness is everything. And then he goes on and says these crazy words that we need to, so we see them in football games, right? We see them in John 3, 16 all the time, but they're just as revolutionary and as insane every time I read these. And they guide us as a church and they should guide you. Whenever you think of God, you need to think of this first. For God so loved the world. That means sinners. That means you. That means people with regrets. He loves it. Don't forget this. He loves it. Your neighbor he loves. Your enemy he loves. That person you think there's no way in the world will ever come to church. 
He loves them. That he gave his only son. If you're doubting whether or not he loves, puts action to it. This is not a wish or a dream. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. No works, no actions, no you repairing your life or making things better or going back and fixing things like an AA deal. But absolutely gift. For God did not, this is very important. When you think of your neighbor or your enemy or other people that you think are just terrible sinners. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. God is love. Nicodemus sat there looking at his Jesus. And I bet he had a lot of regrets. And us as Christians, we still do, don't we? And when they took that Jesus and they put all those spices on him, it was like Nicodemus was putting all his regrets on this Jesus. And they put that Jesus and they put him in a tomb and they buried him. And you know what else was buried there? All regrets. All sins, all errors, everything that Nicodemus had done went with the ointment he put on Jesus. All of your actions, all the stuff you wish you could take back, buried forever, gone and done. So don't be digging up dead bodies again. And three days later, rose again from the dead. And has found you to give you that same life that he has. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us rise and confess the faith of Nicodemus with the words of the Apostles' Creed.